So from the 16th chapter of Romans, verses 17 through 20. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now I want to do something a little bit different tonight to begin this uh, study. I want you to participate with me in it. And I'm going to ask two questions. You don't have to answer uh, on the first question. I just want you to hear them both. And then I'll ask for a show of hands. How many of you, first question, have been involved in a church where there is, or has been, or is, you're involved, you have been involved in a church where there was internal strife? Second question. How many of you are aware of a church that has internal strife? Would you lift your hand? All right. <laughs> okay just about unanimous, and it really illustrates the truth that you can't get people together very long without having some form of trouble brew. I heard about a man whose children went out to play, and they were playing outside of his window, and they were getting pretty aggressive, and they, get, they were getting louder and louder and more violent and more aggressive. And finally, the man went to the window and raised the window, and he said, Now, you kids, stop fighting. Stop it right now. And one of his children said, Well, Daddy, we're just playing church. Well, I guess it illustrates, pretty good illustration of what goes on in some churches. I have a feeling that the unchurched person, the unbeliever, might smile when he hears us sing, like a mighty army moves the church of God. Brethren, we are treading where the saints of God have trod. We're not divided, all one body we. And I imagine someone to smile and say, oh, really? This matter of dissension or problems within a church is not new. It went on in the church at Galatia and Ephesus. It, went in, it was involved in the church at Corinth. As a matter of fact, that's why the book of Corinth, the letter of 1 Corinthians, was written to deal with problems. That's all it dealt with. Those kinds of things went on in Philippi. You remember the two women that Paul mentions in the very first part of that little book of joy that are having this problem in the church there in Thessalonica and in Colossae. Colossae was the birthplace, the womb from which Gnosticism was born and it was what riddled the church in the first century. 
There is a marvelous example of the problem that exists in the early church. It's found in 3 John, the third epistle of John. I want you to turn to that. Keep your finger in the place where we are. Now, if you're not as familiar with your Bible as others are, 3 John is a little epistle next to the last book in the New Testament. So it's over by the book of Revelation, or the Revelation. I want to read verses 9 and 10 of 3 John, give you an example or an illustration of what I'm talking about. I wrote something to the church. John is speaking. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among, you, among them, does not accept what I say. Diotrephes does not accept what I say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, neither does he himself receive the brethren. He doesn't show Christian hospitality, and he forbids those who desire to do so, and puts them out of the church. Must be a great guy in that church. A.T. Robinson is an old... Is a, um, a scholar who has commentaries wrote in the early part of this century. He has a group of commentaries called Word Pictures of the New Testament. He, he says in his commentary on 3 John, I wrote an article about Diotrephes and sent it to the denominational paper. The editor of the denominational paper told me that 25 deacons notified him to cancel their subscription because they didn't feel it right to be attacked publicly in the press. I guess there are people who can identify. It's not new, nor is it over. There are a lot of things that are yet on the horizon that are going to give um, some anxiety and stress to the modern church. For example, the ordination of women as a deacon is going to be an issue that Southern Baptists are going to face. Women in the clergy. What about the government? Is it autonomous or Presbyterian? And what about this matter of the inerrancy of Scripture? Is everything in the Bible to be interpreted literally word for word? You see. So always, it's not new nor is it over, there has been some form of strife or internal dissension within the church. We ought not to be surprised then when we come to the book of Romans and find it here. Now what I want to do with this text tonight, this, this study, is, is threefold. Now watch this carefully. I want to give you tonight some principles with regard to how to deal with internal problems or strife. Some principles to follow in dealing with internal problems or strife. Now sometimes that strife or those internal problems occur within a marriage. I want to give some principles that are relevant to that. How to deal with problems that develop as a strife within a marriage. Sometimes those problems come with within the church. And then I want to apply this text, and, and, and I'm not pressing on it, something that's not there. I want to apply some principles with regard to how to deal with the cult movement. 
Because actually the problem that was brewing in the church at Rome was the direct result of the propagation of heresy. It was the direct result of cults who were coming and infiltrating the church. So there is relevant to this sermon principles with regard to dealing with the cult movement and it is a fresh and relevant study for our time. In fact, there are a lot of cults in the city of Durant who are practicing under the name of, of you know, Christian religion. So these principles. Now, if you've got your outline, I need you to jot these things down. It will be helpful to you in the days to come, if not tonight. What was going on in the, Rome, in the church at Rome? What was going on there? Three things he uses, three words he uses to describe the problem. First of all, he says there were dissensions. The word means to stand apart or cleavage. Now what he's saying is that something was happening in this relationship, this family relationship at Rome that was causing people to stand apart from one another and it was bringing cleavage to that fellowship. That word, the word that is used here for dissension is only found one other time and is found in the book of Galatians chapter 5 and it's used in, in, in relation to a work of the flesh. So he's saying that what is going on in this church, in this relationship, could be marriage if you applied it to that, could, as it relates to the church is, that it was causing people to stand apart. Now we're not talking about disagreement. As a matter of fact, every church and every relationship will have disagreement. And disagreements are healthy. There's every reason to believe that a disagreement in, in a relationship is always healthy. There's room for variety, you see. We're not talking about disagreement. We're talking about dissension, the cleavage of relationships. Second thing he's saying is going on there is what he calls hindrances. Now that Greek word is an interesting word. It means to pop up and grab. It's like a trap. In fact, the whole idea of a trap is found here, capturing and holding, and it becomes a hurdle. And it causes people to stumble and fall from the way. Now watch this carefully. What Paul is saying is this. If what you're doing in your relationship is a barrier to someone else's walk, and if it causes them to stumble, whatever you're doing, if it causes someone to fall by the way or hurt them, you need to check what you're doing. All right, third, there were her heresies. He uses the word contrary here, and it's an interesting word. It means parallel. And always heresies are so parallel to the truth, it's hard to detect the heresy from the truth. You ever notice that? That some things that people propagate as truth are in reality heresies, and yet they run so parallel to the truth, it's hard to detect the heresy. A few years ago, a man wrote a book, a man by the name of Bill Stearns wrote a book, Is Anybody Here, Is There Anybody Here Who, who Knows Right From Wrong? And he uses an, uh, an analogy, he uses a hypothetical illustration to, to 
to, to show us that the point is that when problems arise, we have to ask ourselves, are my decisions based upon my feelings or upon truth? Does anybody here know right from wrong? He tells about this beautiful young teenage girl who he said went to a hundred, at least a hundred Bible studies, but he said she must have been absent and missed the night they passed out or they discussed how to make biblical decisions. She must have missed that lesson, he said. And, and he said this, this, this young lady was, um, you know, sang, in the, sang solo in the youth choir and won the sword drill, but as she got older, she didn't know how to make biblical decisions. And so she didn't see anything wrong with messing around with sex. And she lived in the early 70s, and, and that was the time when everybody did what they felt good about. You know, if it felt good, do it. And she just kind of slipped in. First she started smoking pot, and then it moved to speed, and then to LSD. And she said, well, I don't see anything wrong with this, actually. After all, you take aspirin. And the whole idea, according uh, in the book, Stearns' book, Is Anybody Here Know Right From Wrong, is this, that sometimes the decisions are so parallel to truth that come to us. We have, the point is that we have to ask ourselves, now am I making this decision on the basis of what I feel good about, what feels good, or am I making this decision on the basis of truth? All right, what was happening? These three things. Second, now watch this carefully. Why was it happening? Verse 18 gives us the clue. Let me read that again. Verse 18. For such men are slaves not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. Why are these people causing this dissension in this relationship? Or why, watch this, why do problems come in, within relationships? First of all, it was because they were pleasers of self. They were promoting their own cause. They had great appetites for pleasing themselves. That's what happens in marriages that have problems. The people within the marriage live to please themselves. That's what happens when churches have dissension. There are people who promote their cause and their desires. And that's what happens when dissension comes to, cleave, to bring cleavage in relationships. Pleasers of self. And we forget that we're not here to please ourselves, but to live in service of others. Second, he said they were deceivers. Their one goal was to deceive the unsuspecting individual who is naive and gullible. Listen to me. You cannot dance through life without some conviction. You cannot dance through life without conviction. You are a prime target if you don't settle some convictions. And these deceivers had come in order to deceive those who were unthinking and uncertain about their conviction. Jack Sparks has a book called The Mindbenders. And he talks about the cult movement in America and how these cults seek to bend our minds. Simultaneously, he said, they go through three steps. Look at this. He said, first of all, there is a, pro there is 
the, the step of deprogramming. Somebody comes to your door tomorrow to tell you that all that you have learned in the past is wrong. No matter how sincere your parents were, no matter how sincere your church was, everything you learned and, and, and believed in the past is wrong. Do you understand? It is not right. It is wrong, wrong, reject it. Second stage. And, some of the, and they're, they're simultaneous is they command the surrender of the will. All mind-benders eventually demand the surrender of your will. And all these old habits that you have developed are broken down and new programs are put in their place. Third, there is the concentrated reprogramming of the will. Indoctrination. And it's like the dripping rain. It just goes on and on and on. The mind benders. That's what was happening, believe it or not, in the first century church. All right? Third, how should this be handled? Now, this is, this is the kicker. When there is a cleavage in relationships, whether it is in marriage or church, or whether it's with regard to the cult movement, how should it be handled? He says in verse 17, first, to keep your eye on the mind bender. Observation, scrutiny. Keep your eye on them. Be aware, be awake, be observant. Now let me apply that to marriage. Because I believe that what happens in marriages that have problems is that one individual in the marriage forgets to notice the other individual. He takes him, she takes him for granted. He takes her for granted. He doesn't see her moments of sadness, so he doesn't comfort. He doesn't see her moments, she doesn't see his moments of joy, so she, she's not there to rejoice. She doesn't observe his stress and problems, so she's not there to encourage. And most of the marriages I have a, uh, am asked to try to help are, are, are marriages that just kind of, there's just an erosion of, of, of folks' observation and, 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 and observing. So the first thing, how to handle it, is to keep your eye open. Now I want you to turn to the second epistle of John. You know, this while ago we were in 3 John. I want you to turn back to 2 John. It's the one right before 3. Two's right before 3. So it's the third to the last book in the Bible. 3 John, one little chapter and verses 9 through 11. You need to get this, kids. At least get this. Verses 9 through 11. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. You see, central to what the message is, is Jesus Christ. What he's saying in essence is that anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ as God, does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you, and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. You hear that? Do you know that was in the Bible? 
If he comes to your door and he rejects Jesus as the divine Son of God, as deity, as God in flesh, don't let him in the house and do not even speak to him. Don't give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Do you get that? If you even speak to them, you participate in what they do. Amazing statement. You know what he's saying? He's saying don't let them in the house, don't greet them, don't read their books, don't have anything to do with them. That's how you deal with this. All right? How can this thing be overcome? Verse 19. Now there are three things that are essential in overcoming the ascension when trouble brews. Whether it's in the church, whether it's regard to the problem of heresy, whether it's Conflict and relationships. Number one, look at this. Verse 19, continue in obedience. The continuation of obedience. Do what is right. Do what is right. Obey. Just be obedient. Do what you learned when you were a child. Now I'm not sure that you know, that, that, that there ever has come a time in my life where I just, you know, just absolutely said, you know, I, I just understand all this. I, I know I don't understand all there is to understand about this. But you know why I believe this as God's word? You know why I believe this? One of the main reasons I believe this is because my mother did. And she taught me this, and she believed it to the day she died. And, and, and she has a little, you know, a little bit of credibility with me, you know, as a Christian, as a person who walked with God. And I'm not going to lay aside something that she believed and taught me when I was a child without a fight. What, what Paul is saying is this. You have been taught the truth. When you were young, you were taught the truth. And you were obedient to the truth. You were obedient to God. Just keep on being obedient. Just keep on doing what is right. And there'll be times when you'll want to throw up your hands and quit and walk out of relationships, etc. Just do what is right. And there'll be times when you'll want to walk out of the church and never come back. I've had people tell me that. I mean, they got, I got so hurt down at that church down there, whatever it was, I decided I just never did want to come back. There'll be times when you want to do that. Just do what's right. The way to overcome problems is just to do what's right. Second, is the application of wisdom. The application of wisdom. What he says in verse 19 is this, to take the truth of God and with discernment apply it to life. Take the truth of God and with discernment apply it to life. Third, separate yourself from evil. Separate yourself from evil. Now you won't get burned if you don't play with fire. Separate yourself from evil. Let me wind it up. We're out of here. 
There are two, there are obvious clues, and there are three best cures. Three clues, three best cures. Watch this. How do you know when trouble is brewing? How do, what are some clues that indicate that there is an internal problem? What are the best clues? Number one, when we begin to alter our decisions so we can have our way. When we begin to alter decisions so we can have our way. I want my way, and so I'm going to alter the decision that has to be made so I can have my way. Second, when there is disobedience to Scripture, when people stop obeying the Word, dissension is on the horizon. You stop obeying the Word, and problems come in relationships and in the church and with regard to heresy. Third, when there is deception from what we were. Now watch what I'm trying to say here is that when we're no longer honest with one another, when we, don't, when we stop talking, when we're not transparent and we're, uh, when we start doing things that we don't want the other person to know about, when there are these room meetings in the back room people or the elite are involved in, when there is deception and there's no honesty and openness. See. As long as there is a line of communication and we can talk, you see, and problems come in any relationship when we close up and we don't let one another in. What are the best cures? There are three, I see as I see it. A working knowledge of the Bible. A working knowledge of the Bible. Now the sad thing about the fact that the, that the person who comes to your door and knocks on your door and he has a new Bible and a new revelation and a new word, the problem with that person is is that he knows more about his Bible than you do. And they have this working knowledge of their theology, and they just overpower us. And the problem is not with them with regard to that. The problem is with us. We're woefully ignorant of the Word, and we know little about what we believe. John, Kill, John Killinger, one of the best guy, best writers I've ever read. He's, he's a teacher down at Sanford University. And he, he said one day a lady called him and he answered the phone. He, she said, Brother Killinger, what do I believe? <laughs> he said, pardon me? She said, what do I believe? He said, well, I don't understand. She said, well, we were having this tea in this bridge club and and said, these people started talking to me about what they believed, and they asked me what I believed, and I don't know what I believe. What do I believe? She wanted him to tell her what she believed. So she could go and pass that on to somebody, you know, like in that, out here. Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? That person who comes to your door does. I guarantee you that. Second, 
a watchful eye on the flock. A watchful eye on the flock. Now, if you're a, if you're a husband, your little flock, your family is your little flock. You need to, you got, you, you're the spiritual protector of that family. You're a leader in this church. You're a deacon in this church. You're a pastor. You're one of the pastors here, one of the ministers. You keep an eye on the flock. Let's care for one another. And the whole point of the scripture is, and as we admonish one another and rebuke one another, is to remind and warn one another, keep an eye out for each other. That's the idea. Third, the willpower to reject error regardless. The willpower to reject error regardless. I'll not believe it. I will never believe it. And if, for whatever, whatever else comes, whatever it costs me, I'll not believe error. If it means I lose my job, whatever. You see what I'm saying? Power to reject error regardless. Now these are principles that help you deal with the strife that comes with life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the lesson of your word. I pray that the application give help and hope and strength to us all. I pray in Jesus' name. I want to give an invitation tonight and give opportunity for people to come to Christ. Whatever else you've heard from anyone, this is the truth from God's Word. That Jesus Christ is God in flesh, 100% God, 100% man. And He came and lived sinlessly on this earth and bore the sin of man as a substitute to Calvary. Was raised from the dead, exalted in His ascension to the right hand of God and is coming again in bodily form. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is God, Messiah, and the means and only way that one can be saved. Counting on Him, trusting in Him. Perhaps you need to come tonight to place your faith in Jesus Christ or in relation to the struggles that go on in your life, the renewing of your commitment to the Lord, or to follow the Christ in obedience and place your life in this church, will not tarry after verse 2. So if you're coming, you'll need to come on the first word while we stand to sing.